Good morning. Uh, my name's Tim. If I haven't had the chance to meet you before, and I get the privilege of uh, unpacking, you know, every Sunday we unpack uh, the biblical story together and get the privilege of doing that with y'all today. We're, uh, we're starting a new series of teachings. Last week was the first Sunday in it, and Carlo kicked it off for us, called uh, Prophets and Kings. And we're going to be going through the story of First and Second Kings uh, through the springtime and into the summer. And uh, it, I'm excited about this. I think it's going to be really interesting. There's, there are just some fascinating stories of uh, what God was doing with his people back then. And uh, I think it'll be good. I, I'd encourage you to this this spring and summer, be reading through First and Second Kings. Uh, you could read a chapter or two a week, but be be in that text. Uh, we, you know, we really hope our Sunday morning teachings aren't. It's the uh, how you know the way I've said it before. It's the beginning of a conversation. So that we want. We want as a community during the week that we're wrestling out, God, what are you saying to me? What are you doing in my life? What are you, how are you calling me to respond? That, um, that we're reading these, these biblical books, talking to God about it, talking to our family members, our housemates, our small group about it. So be reading First and Second Kings over the coming uh, weeks and months. And if you're a real, you know, I know some of us are real uh, studious and that's kind of that's how we connect to God. If you want to kind of take it further, there's a commentary, Understanding the Bible Commentary Series. Uh, the first and second Kings volume by Ian Proven. If you want to kind of dig in deeper, that would be a recommendation. So you can, if you're curious, you can look at that after uh, our worship time this morning. So uh, this morning, what I would like to do uh, is we're getting into this, you know, we're getting into this series on first and second Kings. And I wanted to take a chunk of time uh, at the beginning today uh, to, to set the context, kind of what, uh, you know, the, we go to a book like this, First and Second Kings, that's talking about events that happened 3,000 years ago. And I think it's easy to be, to be, to say, okay, who is that? And where are they? And how, what's going on? And how does this relate to Jesus and other things that happen? And, and fundamentally, the question behind all those questions is, what does this have to do with my life? How, how does this say anything? How does this connect to what God might want for my life in Bellingham in 2016? And so I want to I take some time and set the context this morning. Uh, it's going to probably be not the most exciting thing, but I want to lay that out so that we can get into, okay, how might God be speaking to our lives here and now through this ancient scripture? Does that sound all right? We're going to do that? Good. If you said no, I don't know what we would be doing this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, improvise. Okay, uh, so yeah, so we're going to be looking at how to, yeah, uh, the context, how does this connect, how does, how does this, um, how does God use this to speak to our lives today? So, kind of a brief, really brief outline of the, uh, uh, the biblical story. So, uh, the biblical story, this is going to be our timeline, is what I'm drawing here, and my pen is running out. Maybe I'll try this new one. So, the uh, the biblical story starts. I should have done this before. This pen's not working either. Just be patient with me. Okay. Huh. I guess we'll go back to the other. All right. Biblical story starts with creation. So uh, creation, uh, Scripture tells us, God created God created this place as good, and God made um, men and women to be His uh, to bear His image, 
And men and women in the beginning were in right relationship with God as their king. And, uh, and because they're in right relationship with God as their king, they're in right relationship with one another. And they were even rightly related to themselves. They're right in their own hearts. And they were in right relationship with all of creation. And that's ground, and there is a creature with horns and a tail. And, uh, and this, this, is where, this is how the biblical story begins. Things are good. P- people are rightly related spiritually, relationally with themselves, with all creation. This is, the, the biblical story does not begin with brokenness and evil and sin. That's not where it starts. It starts, God made this place good. And what, what happens is as we read through the biblical story is that uh, men and women decide, they decide their, their desire, what they really want is to be king over their own lives. And this results in fracture between them and God, which results in conflict between one another, a break in their own hearts, and even uh, uh, fracture between them and creation. Creation suffers. And, uh, and so this is how the biblical story starts. And so everything else that follows in the biblical story is God's response to this. God's seeking to rescue, redeem, and heal, and restore. So as you read through Scripture, very soon, early on in Genesis, we come to this guy named Abraham. And this, uh, I'm going to put some dates up here, but scholar, somewhere around 2000 B.C., that scholars debate about this kind of thing, but just kind of in that ballpark. So Abraham, and God says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I desire to heal, to, to fix, to restore what has gone wrong. Abraham, I'm going to do it through your descendants. Your descendants are going to be my vehicle, my means of healing what has gone wrong. And so God calls and God says, Abraham, it's going to happen through your descendants. And then Abraham's descendants, they be fruitful and multiply. And uh, we come to the story of Moses and the exodus of Egypt and uh, around 1500 BC. Again, scholars debate this. but uh, And that's the story where now Abraham's descendants, they've become a people. They're enslaved in Egypt. And this is the plagues and the Moses and going through the Red Sea and out into the wilderness. And then God gives them the law. That's that. That whole story around here and God God rescues his people and God gives them God God is shaping them into the kind of world blessing people that he wants them to be because the mission always is healing what has gone wrong so they, they end up going to the promised land they move into this promised land and then for several centuries they live this kind of tribal existence these 12 tribes and they're working together but around the year 1000 and this is what Carlo talked about last week. Around the year 1000, these people, they say, they, they say, we want a king like the nations around us have. We don't want it. We, God, we've been, we, we want to do it. We see all these peoples around us doing it this other way. We want to be like them. We want a king like the nations around us have. And God says to them, okay, that's not my first choice for you, but I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep working with you. And so this is where the kings begin. And as Carlos said, it starts with a guy named Saul. He was the first king. And then we come to David and then Solomon. The first three kings uh, around 1000 BC of this, this Abraham's descendants, the first three kings. At that point, what happens after Solomon, a civil war breaks out and the nation splits into two, north and south. And the north, the northern kingdom, they last, oh, 
two, little over two centuries, and then they're conquered and taken into exile. And then the south, they go a little longer. They make it to 587 B.C. when they're taken into exile. Babylon comes in, this huge empire of the day, comes in, conquers Abraham's descendants, uh, destroys the land, and then takes the people a thousand miles away to live in this other place. Uh, and it's, uh, it's referred to as exile. And that's around 587. Eventually, the people come back to the land, and around the year zero, this is where Jesus comes into the story. This is Jesus' ancestry. This is the story he steps into. So these are the stories that shape his understanding of who God is and what his role, how he's going to live in the world. Now, so first and second Kings, the books that we're going to be that we're going to be looking at together, we're going to be reading together over the coming months. First and second Kings is about this time frame here. This time frame when kings led the land. And what it is, is it's written while the people are in exile, looking back at this time. So this is what 1 and 2 Kings is. And so the people are in exile. They've been conquered, they've been taken away, and they're reflecting on their history. And they're asking the question, what went wrong? We thought... We thought that we were the people through which God was going to heal this this fracture, this brokenness that's happened in the world. We thought God was on a mission. It was going to happen through Abraham's descendants, us. We thought it was going to happen through us, that we're going to be blessing the world and undoing this. But now we're here in exile. We don't even have our own land anymore. We've been taken away. What went wrong? And they're looking back on their story, and they're asking questions like, where was God in this? What was God up to? How was he shaping us in the past? What's he been doing? How's he been working with us? And what, why, why did it end up the way it did? And so the books that we're going to be looking at is their reflection on where was God in our past? And they're, and they're going to be looking at, they're going to be looking at how, how some, sometimes they were faithful, sometimes they were unfaithful. And they're going to look at how God never gave up on them. That in spite of their failings, in spite of their missteps, that God's mission to work through them to to redeem and rescue, God never, ever stopped chasing after them and loving them and pursuing them. And so the books of 1 and 2 Kings, they're, they're this gritty I mean, if, when you read through them, you'll see there, it's not kind of this nice, shiny version of the past. It is real. And in fact, I, th- I find an invitation even for us to reflect this way. I find an invitation in this. I mean, have you, have you, ever, have you, ever, taken, like, uh, have you ever taken a chunk of time and just reflected on your story? Done a timeline or written it out? Kind of your, your history how you've been faithful, where you've been unfaithful, when you've hurt, when you've succeeded. Have you ever done that and just, and just and wrote about and thought about and prayed? Where, where were you, God, in those times? God, how are you using those things to shape me? I know over the last few years, I've had the chance with some folks to actually lead people through this exercise of doing their life timelines and asking the question, how has God shaped you through these different seasons of your life? We've done this as a Hillcrest staff. We've done this for the Hillcrest story. 
Where are the high points and the low points, the points of, uh, of joy, the points of pain? And how has God been at work shaping us? I think this invites us into that kind of exercise, to look at our stories and ask a question, how has God been at work shaping and working? This, this is them in this place of saying, what went wrong? Reflecting how God has been at work even when things weren't going well. It's their, it's their, it's their family history. I think, I think we're wired to know, kind of, I, I think this is a good, this is, this is important because we're wired to know our story, to know our history, to be rooted in it. I've, uh, I've shared this before, but I just think it's, I, I find it very interesting. Um, so summer of 2001, there are these two clinical psychologists, and they wanted to ask the question, what is it about certain families and family dynamics that help kids, that set kids up to handle challenges in life? Is there anything about the way certain families live together, any dynamics that actually the kids, when they're in this kind of family dynamic, they do a better job at handling stress and challenge and adversity? And so these two clinical psychologists, they, uh, they get four dozen families and they, they sit with them and they, sit, they, they, they watch them and interview them and listen to them, um, watch them act, uh, interacting. And then they, they get the kids and they ask them questions. They put them through like a, these psychological tests and have them take these tests. And, the, and what they did is they realized that there was this, there was this, wet, this thing that these, the, some of these families did, that when families that did this thing, that kids from those families consistently scored higher in abilities to cope with stress and challenge in their life. Well, this that fall, fall 2001, uh, fall 2001, 9-11 happens. And so all the kids in, in all these families, of course, they're exposed to this national trauma at the same time. And so these clinical psychologists, they say, well, let's go back to these families again and, and, and talk to these kids and see how they're processing this national trauma, and see how that relates to what we discovered earlier. So they go back to these same kids, and, uh, and, and they, they, they discover that those families that did this one thing, these kids processed through this national trauma in a much more healthy way. And in fact, there's been multiple studies since then, and that families that do this thing, they, uh, these, these family kids, uh, kids have lower rates of depression and anxiety, they have stronger self-identity and better coping skills. And it's families that tell their family history. They tell their family story together. When families, when, when, when kids grow up hearing about challenges that mom and dad faced, when they grow up hearing about when grandma and grandpa made this mistake or they took this risk and it didn't turn out well but they didn't give up, when they're, when they're rooted in this family story, that there's, there's some way that we're wired to know where we come from, this family story. So, feeling a little inspired by this, I have taken to telling my daughters little Timmy stories. And they, they love little Timmy stories. And so, I'll, you, know, I'll tell, you know, I'll tell them, Dad, tell us again. And so, you know, and then little Timmy... Uh, took the desitin and took the baby powder and went into the room with the hardwood floors and put it everywhere so he could go ice skating and got in so much trouble. 
And then little Timmy, two weeks later, talked his brother into doing it again with him and got in even more trouble. And the girls are just like, ah, that's Hitler. And, uh, and I, there's something for them, I think, you know, as, as, as they're, they're learning to deal with all these emotions, learning to make good choices, and learning to get along with their siblings and follow mom and dad. There's something about knowing dad had a hard time that is really encouraging to them. His family stories. And so when we, when we, when somebody trusts Jesus, they, they are, they attach themselves to Jesus. They are adopted into God's family. When you trust Jesus, you have brothers and sisters in Jesus all around the world, but you also are adopted into this spiritual family history. And so, so, for those, so for those who are following Jesus, this is our spiritual family history. These are our spiritual forefathers and foremothers. I don't know if that's a word. This is our spiritual family history. And God, God knows that we're made to know this. I mean, if this wasn't in Scripture, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know about how our, our fathers and mothers in the faith, how they've struggled how they've faced incredible challenges, how at times they've stumbled, how at times they've clung on by their fingernails. We wouldn't know that. We wouldn't have this incredibly authentic model of, of I mean, when they, when they tell these stories, they don't pull punches. They don't just do the kind of the, the, the nice kind of public thing. They, they tell it in all its raw grittiness. It's this model of, be, of able to be honest about our histories and bring it before God. And if they didn't do this, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know how faithful God has been to keep his promises to work to rescue this place. And so when we read this, when a, when a follower of Jesus who's been adopted into God's family reads this, we, we, read, we read our spiritual family history. God knows that's how we're wired. And so what I want to do now, what I'd like to do uh, for the rest of our time this morning is now that we've kind of set the stage, I want to take some time this morning and I want to look at one story in particular and just kind of dig into that story and just see, okay, if, if this is how we read these ancient texts, what might this, you know, an example of how do we read this text and what might it say to us today? Because the, the question, of course, is how do we, these, 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 these stories are over two, 3,000 years old. How do we read them? How does God speak to us today through them? So I want to look at one, give an example of how, that, how, that might, how God might speak to us. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3 today. We'll start in verse 4. Uh, 1 Kings is about a third of the way into the Bible, maybe a quarter it's after 2 Samuel, and 1 and 2 Kings are right before 1 and 2 Chronicles. So uh, we're going to be picking up in uh, chapter 3. And, and so 1 Kings starts at the end of David's the second king, right? David's the second king. First, the, this book, 1 Kings, starts at the end of David's life and then really gets going with the beginning of Solomon, the third king. His life, and so the chapters one and two are about the transition between David and Solomon, and uh, and it's 
you know, it's, it's real. It doesn't pull any punches. So David, we, we see David um, handing off the throne to Solomon. Not literally, but you, you know what I mean. And, uh, and David, you know, da- David says some really good things to Solomon. He says, hey, Solomon, as you, as you step into this kingship, you need to know, you, I, I hope you love God with all your heart. I hope you trust him. I want you to follow him. That is the way you need to walk. And, and David says, trust him. Stick with him. And, and that is good and beautiful. But then, then the next thing David says is, and here is a list of people I want you to kill. <laughs> Serious. That's how, and, and, and in fact, the last thing the book of 1 Kings records David saying, this is the last thing 1 Kings has him saying, bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. And David's saying that about someone that David promised not to hurt. So this is the, it's a very mixed legacy. Solomon is, is somebody who's, whose family is giving him a mixed legacy. And, and so Solomon starts, as in, in chapter 2, Solomon's starting off trying to be king. And he's, 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 he's trying to follow what his dad said. He's trying to trust God. And at the same time, he's carrying out these killings. And, 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 and he's stepping into this, this challenge of trying to lead these people. And it's like... And um, and so as 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 a reader, as we're going through this story, we get into chapter three, and we're thinking to ourselves, what kind of king is he going to be? And how is it that God's going to continue to do this work, to be working to bless the world, to undo this, to restore and heal this through this kind of king? And so that's what that's where we're at when we get to chapter three, verse four. So let's read this together. Verse 4, the king, that's Solomon, son of David, the king went to Gibeon, it's a town north of Jerusalem, to offer sacrifices. For that was the most important high place, kind of place of worship. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. So Solomon's, Solomon's worshiping and God appears to him at night and says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And, and another way to say what God is doing here, uh, fundamentally, God is asking Solomon, what do you truly want? What do you want, Solomon? Solomon's in this situation where, where he, you know, he's got this, 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 he's becoming king and he feels like the, the challenges of being king outstrip his resources. He doesn't feel equipped or ready for it. It feels like it's more than he can handle. And God comes to him and says, what do you really want? Because our requests, our desires, reveal our heart. What do you want? And Solomon, skipping down to verse 7, replies. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, Abraham's descendants. A great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? 
God comes to Solomon and says, what do you want? And Solomon says, he says, I want to lead, I want to lead well. I want wisdom. Solomon says, I want, I want the weak in the country. I don't want them to be taken advantage of. I don't want the marginalized to get stepped on. I want justice. I want fairness. God, I want to be able, I want to be able to make sure that everybody has a chance to thrive or flourish. He says, that's what I want. And he, and he takes, he's honest about his desires and he puts them before God and God meets him. And over the coming chapters of uh, the coming chapters of 1 Kings, we see how God is faithful and shows up for Solomon and meets him. He actually gives him wisdom to lead this way. But it's this picture of God saying, what do you really want? Solomon says, this is what I want. And God meets Solomon in that. So how do we... So if the question, so if this is an example, how do we read this? How do we read this? How do we come to this, this, this ancient story in a way that speaks into our lives here and now? I mean, one, I think, I think we read it, one, we read it as the story of one of our spiritual forefathers, of how Solomon, one of our spiritual forefathers, was given a mixed legacy from his parents. How, how Solomon faced these challenges that were beyond him. How, Solomon, how, how God met Solomon and, and, and how Solomon was honest about his desires and how God was faithful to Solomon. We read it that way. So one, I think we read it as our spiritual ancestors. Two, I think, I think as we read it that way, that we find ourselves invited into the story. I mean, in the same way, you know, when my girls hear me talk about little Timmy stories, they, they, I think they sort of imagine them doing those things themselves. And of course, the hope is they don't actually do them themselves. But, but we get it, we get invited into it. And I think as we read about Solomon, you know, we, we begin to identify with him. And it's not that, you know, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, I've never given a thousand burnt offerings or... You know, you've probably not been the, the, the monarch of a small Middle Eastern nation state. I mean, maybe if you have, it'll be easier to identify. But, um, but, but we all know what it's like to... We all know what it's like to have a, have a situation in our life that feels beyond our capabilities. Whether it's a job situation, a school situation, maybe a relational conflict that just feels like this is beyond what I have. Maybe it's, maybe it's something with, with family, with kids or grandkids, where it's, this is, I don't know how to do this. This is beyond me. Or it's this, this stressful challenge that I just, I don't feel like I have enough for this. My guess is if we went around this room, every one of us could talk about something that's been taking up headspace in the last couple of weeks, where it feels bigger than us. And I think as we see Solomon in that situation, we find ourselves invited into the story. And I, feel, I believe that God addresses us and says, what do, you re- what do you truly want? In this situation, what do you truly want? fascinating. Jesus, multiple times to multiple different people, asked the same question. What do you want? What do you really want? 
And I think this, this, this invites us to, to, to think about this, this area of challenge, this place where we feel we don't have enough. It feels bigger than us. We, we, you know, we, we don't know what to do. And, and, I, to, and I, I believe it invites us to, that God is actually sitting down next to us and saying, what do you really want in this? And when he asks us that, I don't think God is asking, like, what outcome do you want? Do you want to get the, you know, you want to get the car or the house or what? No, I think what God is really asking is what is our desire? What is motivating us? What is driving us? And the answer is probably going to be something along the lines of, I want to feel safe. Or I want to feel known. Or I want to be accepted. Or I want to win. Or I want to be in control. I want to be right. Or I want them to stop hurting. Or I want to stop hurting. Or I want I just want to see them thrive. Or I want to see them protected. I want to see them receive justice. But I believe in that area of challenge where we feel outstripped, and I believe God can come to us and say, What 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 is your deep desire? What do you truly want? And I think God invites us to say, to, to talk to him, I, to say, this is what I want. Whether it's an ugly thing or a noble thing, to say, God, honestly, this is what I want. And I think when we, when we offer that up to him, he meets us in that. And so I would encourage you, even this week, to take time in that thing, that challenge that feels bigger to you. Take time and sit down and imagine Jesus sitting down next to you and saying, what do you want? And tell him, this is really what I truly want. And then say, Jesus, what do you have to say to me about this? God, what do you have to say to me about this? And let him speak to you. So one, when we come to when we come to this story, we we read it as our we read it as our, our, our spiritual ancestors, our spiritual fathers and mothers. Two, we read it, we read it as as a story that we're invited into, and we find ourselves addressed by God personally through it. And then three, I believe we read it as the, the witness, the testimony, the evidence of God's ongoing commitment to heal and to restore and to bring back the goodness that he created this world for. Because when we read these, we read these accounts, we read about this Solomon, son of David, not only do we find it pointing back that God is working to, to heal that, but we also find it pointing forward. Because we find it pointing forward to Jesus. Because Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. Jesus is the son of David. That, that when, when, when we read through these, these stories, we see that Solomon eventually, that he had moments of faithfulness, but he had moments of real unfaithfulness. And that, that it turns out Solomon is not the one to ultimately bring forgiveness and healing for this. But it, Solomon points ahead to the one who does that when God himself, the Son of God, steps in and becomes the descendant of Abraham, becomes the son of David, he is the one who ultimately secures rescue for what went wrong in the beginning. And so we find this pointing ahead towards Jesus, the evidence of how God has never, ever stopped seeking to pursue and rescue what was broken in the beginning. So this week, this week I would encourage you, enter in, spend time with your spiritual family history 
Enter into the story. Let the story get into you. Listen for how God might want to speak to you through this. And know how God has never given up on His rescuing work in this world. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, uh, we just come before you and uh, I recognize that as we come into this room that we bring, we bring a lot with us. And we're here today, God, because not because we're just looking for something to do on Sunday morning, uh, but because we, we hope you'll meet us. We hope you'll speak to us. We hope you'll do things in our hearts and our lives. And so even now, as you've spoken through your word and as we take time to reflect and to pray and to worship, I would just ask, uh, Spirit, would you do what you do? Um, would you speak to us? Would you open up a place in our hearts for us to hear from you? We trust you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.